Hello, Mixed Nut Cases. This is Nuke Joss, and this is Nutty Bites. And tonight we're going to be talking about how you can use your geek skills in the workforce. With me, as always... Hi, I'm Still Tech. And there have been articles, people talking about, you know, when you're building your resume, putting things like D&D skills or video game skills. You know, I was a dungeon master. Um, I had an 80-level character in World of Warcraft. I ran my guild. Or I volunteered at a science fiction convention or Comic-Con. And a lot of times it starts out where people are laughing at the idea of using your hobbies on your resume. But people have been using their hobbies on their resumes all the time. But there's a lot of geek skills that are powerful skills that are valued in the workforce. And there's a lot of other articles out there about how to hide your mm-hmm. D&D game in your resume as it ran a multinational group of uh, collaborative storytellers through, you know, creative writing sessions over the course of three years where we would, you know, and like using business speak to try to talk it up. And while some people may have had success with that, uh, the big advice I keep seeing is that just be honest. It's yeah, like, hey, guess what? It. No, don't hide it. Guess what? I play D&D, and people who know what that is are going to appreciate it, and people who aren't are going to ask questions. Yep. And, hey, what's this D&D thing here under your, under your uh, if they really care? Yeah. You know, and if it's on your resume for a reason and you're pointing to it? If, if you can make yourself stand out in a stack of resumes... Take that opportunity. And people have been doing it for years. I mean, people would put on their resumes, their tennis skills. You know, I mean, I put on my resume that I volunteer teach martial arts. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of valuable skills that come out of that. And why should that be any more valued than ran a campaign, a a tabletop role playing campaign for 20 years consistently like that? That's a huge accomplishment. I've never had a 20-year campaign, no. I'll tell you that much. So and I can't put that on my resume. No, but uh, the you are more, like we are more than the sum of our parts, but the mm-hmm. sum of our parts sort of inform who we are. So um, you're right that there are a lot of skills that we can gain, we can gain from our hobbies and that they inform who we are as business people and as professionals. Um, oh, I had another point about this that I wanted to start with and now it's gone, but I'm sure I'll get back to it in a minute. We we'll just circle have, back to yeah, that. Yeah, we'll circle we'll back to it. We'll put it in the that. parking lot. Apps, thank you. Thank you there, <laughs> there chairperson. Um, <laughs> that the skills that we use in our off hours and in our hobbies can be used by us professionally and vice versa. And there's a lot of these little skills and talents that you may not even realize uh, can and uh, should help you. Yeah. And I'm not one of these. I don't believe in this compartmentalized person you know i keep my work life and my home life and create you know incredibly separate my family doesn't even know what i do for a living i i don't understand that type of person and i understand that there must be some type of work-life balance and that you must compartmentalize you know some things like i work with a lot of people's sensitive personal information i don't go telling you everybody's home personal phone numbers and all their medical histories right that's you know i have to keep that compartmentalized but the organizational skills that I use at work, you know, they make it into my games, and some of the 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 stuff that I've learned in my games definitely makes it into my work life. Um, so, how do you want to how do you want to approach this discussion? Do you want to just do you want to start by with a skill that you've learned, or uh, how do you want to do this? Um, I I just wanted to take it a little bit more organically, but I do want to kind of 
piggyback. I'm using all this work, <laughs> by the way. And we had a conversation a while ago about these these lines that you hear in meetings and that if you know if it were a drinking game everybody would be drunk circle back uh, let's circle back to that i want to piggyback on your idea you know that sort of thing so every time i i use one of these in this episode please take it as lovingly humorous and satire as i intend it to be um but i do kind of want to talk a little bit about how one of the things that i've been seeing at least in my industry and and in your industry, you know, over the discussions that we've had is project management is a huge, huge topic right now. Yep. Uh, people getting uh, hours of project management, getting PMPs, getting training on this, getting uh, taking courses in it. Um, and that having project management is how you move through, you know, different area, you know, different industries, how you move up the ladder. Right. And so much of what we do in our geek hobbies is project management. Um, I did a lot of audio drama at the beginning of podcasting. I did a lot of audio drama and that was a huge project. And the person who was responsible for it actually went in and made that her career, which was amazing. But with Buffy between the lines with angel between the lines and the other between the lines things, it was, you had people recording lines, you had people, editing lines you had writers all of the different pieces had to work to make those episodes come out and then there was the social media and then there was the art and all of the other things and there were managers and sub managers and it was a whole system of getting things working uh, i just completed the dog days of podcasting now this is a complete and this is always difficult right volunteer organizations right uh Managing volunteers is probably one of the hardest things that a person can do because they're not getting paid, right? And it's all whatever they can give of their time. And Dog Days of Podcasting is somebody said, hey, this is the feed. I've set up the feed. Everybody come and do your thing. And yet we still developed our own little community of here's where we do all of our communications. And we've all kind of fallen into that on Mondays or Sundays, we talk about each other's episodes and we just kind of fall into that pattern of those little groups and, and made each other more productive. And I can't seem to get my podcast out there. Let me help you out with your feed. And it just happens. Mm -hmm. So this cross between work and personal life, it, it does happen and it happens all the time. And, you know, there are things that you have to do. Like, for instance, hi, I'm Nutty Nukchas. That's not on my resume. And I like keeping those separate because I can feel comfortable and safe and relaxed. But that doesn't mean that I can't, you know, talk about little things that mm -hmm. happen at work. It actually makes it easier for me to talk about work to not have those things cross it over. No, and at work, I can talk about podcasting and not worry about somebody looking up my podcast because they don't know my name. There is nothing weirder than getting a work email from a coworker going, hey, so your podcast last night. Yeah. <laughs> that I, is... I guess weird. Yeah. And, and, and I get people all the time at work saying, so what's your podcast name? And I'll say, if you find it, awesome. You can let me know. But uh, I'm... Just going to let you find it if you find it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I got to say with that, one of the uh, one of the big skills that all of the gaming and, you know, podcasting and geek culture stuff that we've done that has really helped me professionally is public speaking. Public it, speaking, yes. Um, it's my whole job. Especially improv. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not an improv comic. I'm not an improv performer in any means. But the ability to talk on the fly and try to stop the ers, the ums, and especially swearing. Oh, yeah. Um, in a professional context, you know, sometimes you have to watch your language. Being on public radio, yeah, like that we were for four years or for three years, really sort of helps quells the F-bombs because mm-hmm. you just can't. You have to police your language. And I find that having to come up with conversation on the fly, especially when you're DMing a game and you, your players are throwing monkey wrenches at you and you have to adapt your character's speech to what the, the guy just said and being able to rat it off quickly has really helped me professionally, especially now in my older years as a lot of the work that I do is presentations in front of groups that are asking crazy questions. You know, I'm, I have... Um, Tomorrow, I'm giving a presentation to a group of post-grad college students that some of them will become my co-workers in the next hiring blitz. Um, so I have a lot of these prospective students that are going to come, and they're going to ask some off-the-wall questions. I don't know what they're going to ask. I better be able to find the answers, but I find I'm able to do that better now as a gamer, as a role player, and yeah. as a podcaster because... I've had that practice. And you have to be able to not just respond to their questions or the monkey wrench that they throw in there, but also do it in a way that you don't seem upset, that you're still putting them at ease and making them feel like uh, this is, you know, you're having a great time and they're having a great time. There's a lot of social engineering that we do in games. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of social engineering that we do in life. Yeah, and on that social engineering, I got to say one of the downsides of podcasting, uh, you know, and staring here at my computer monitors and my notes that I don't get when I'm in front of a live audience is I can't judge the crowd. I don't know when one of my jokes really hits. I don't know when one of them flops. I don't know when I start losing them because I'm ranting about snowy egrets again, or I don't know where... All of a sudden, I said something that's got them hooked, and I see hands starting to go up because they want to ask questions because I just hit something interesting. And being able to um, get that fe- that instant feedback and then uh, adjust your talk. Like, if I didn't have the ability to just freestyle, and not freestyle rap, but, you know, <laughs> freestyle and improv in front, because I learned that in role-playing, I wouldn't be able to adapt to a live crowd like that. That's why I really like public speaking. I always have. I'm not very good at it. I'm a pretty decent storyteller, and I like being in front of a crowd. It makes me nervous. Of course it does. I I don't think there is a single person, I don't think there's a single orator out there who doesn't get the little butterflies, and they get up in front of the crowd, and they look out at that sea of people, and they go, all right, here we go, and then you break it. I love it. It's so much fun. I'm going to say that podcasting has actually helped me in my regular day-to-day presentations because I do most of my presentations virtually. And as much as you love to have people have their cameras on, a lot of times they've got their cameras off, their microphones are off, and you're just talking. And I'll ask them questions and try to prompt responses, and they do not want to answer me. And I have to somehow engage them make them feel like they're part of the conversation. And actually, that's where I pull into the podcasting. That's where I kind of pull in. I have like regular jokes that I'll use and I'll just kind of act as if they're giving me responses. And I do that 
probably I'm probably okay with this because I've been talking to a computer screen for 14 years now. The one thing I will say 14 years now. 14 years. The 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 one thing I will say um a big benefit that I see in your world that I see in you yeah. is your setup and your understanding of your setup. Mm. Where how many times you end up debugging your coworkers' setups or how many times your coworkers and your boss is like, Oh wow, you've got a really pro setup with microphones and mixer boards and wow, I don't even know how all that stuff works. How do you I just use I you just sound use my amazing. AirPods. You sound like you're on the radio. Yes, yes. I get yeah. that all the time. <laughs> yeah, and funny it's a that. great setup. And I'll tell you though, it is a million times better than just having a headset. One, people can make that connection with me. They feel that there is this like psychological connection that is made because they don't hear the technology interference. And even though I am talking to blank screens and ca- you know cameras off and microphones off, I still get uh, some pretty good survey results, probably because of that. Um, another thing that I always bring into it is I light my face. I make sure that they can see my face. Uh, one of the worst things, by the way, this is a tip for anybody. If you're presenting virtually or if you're Twitch streaming or what going to be on YouTube, having a window behind you is very bad because you're going to be dark and having something bright behind you, a white wall behind you, or even a virtual background that is really bright behind you. And you're darker than that. People are not looking at you. They're looking at the background. That's why why even like the basic, like baby pro Twitch streamer setups that you can go buy anywhere. Now it's the web camera in a ring flash. In a ring light. Like like they've got, they've found, you know, ring lights have now turned into the industry standard for that very same reason. Plus everybody looks good with a ring light. Right. It smooths out all the little divots. Right. There's no shadows. There's no shadows and you don't see your facial bumps and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I don't have a ring light when I'm presenting at work because that just hurts my eyes Mm. but I have designed so that you can see my face and all of this comes from experimenting and trying it out on Twitch and trying it out on Ustream way back in the day and um, and, and to Skype any, and everything else. And to anybody who goes, and, and to anybody who might be saying, oh, yeah, but I can't get a setup like that. It's so expensive. It's Check not. our back catalog for episodes where we talk about our tech setup and how little money we've actually spent yeah. on all this gear. And, like, Nutty, the not, the lights that you're using right now that you use professionally, how many dollars did you spend on those lights? Oh, the lights that are up right now, yeah. those were like thirteen dollars, fifteen dollars. It's just it's a string of LED lights that I can play with the temperature. Um, you can. What I used to do was I just had like a regular desk lamp, mm-hmm. and then I would put like a piece of paper in front of the lamp so yep. that it wouldn't glare. Just to soften off the my light, light. A bit, yeah, yeah, just to soften it a little. Um, and that's all you really need. Just you used something. my desk lamp for that I for a did. long time. I did. I used my, your my, desk lamp. My little for a while. black desk lamp. Yes. Um, even just going from instead of a Bluetooth microphone to a wired microphone mm-hmm. is going to make your With a voice clarity one or two channel mixer board. Yeah, and and honestly, like getting to the point of like the earbuds, the wired earbuds microphone is actually really clear and it's better than some of the expensive Bluetooth headsets. And a lot of my coworkers have these Bluetooth headsets and they're like, why does my voice sound so bad? 
and I'm always trying to tell them you need something wired. You need something that has a wire. Well, um, but, but yeah. Yeah, because the headset microphones, and this isn't a tech talk. No, no. Generally, the headsets, uh, the voice quality is secondary. That's yeah. not what they're, they're just there so that your voice can be heard, you know, in a game or in a conference. They're not meant for audio production. Right. They're not meant for presenting. Unless you've got like one of those high-end pro lavalier mics or uh, one of the wireless mics that they use on stage which is not Bluetooth either. It's a completely different frequency. It's really difficult to have audio go over Bluetooth from from the Bluetooth device. Speaking of, how much money is Rode making now? Oh. Like everybody we is should, using We should invest mics. in... Like I know know anything about the stock market really uh other than i'm sure most of us did like a stock market game in high school um so i can't but i feel like i should be like i don't have any road equipment but i should be investing in road and sure really what i i should be investing in is behringer if you look at my my Ah. equipment but or newer Oh my gosh. Oh, newer? Yes, the the off-brand newer, absolutely. Love that stuff. Um, um but anyway, so yeah, so using different materials, using different computers, working at the radio station, um but also just kind of learning on the fly. I like my first podcast that I recorded, the first content for a podcast that I recorded, I recorded for Sci-Fi Dig way back in the early 2000s. And that I recorded um using a Skype microphone that I got as swag. And it was, it was basically, it was basically the earbuds Mm -hmm. that we have today, but Skype had made like something similar to that. And I would plug it into my iPod, not my iPod touch, my iPod. And I had like this special little jack that would let you record, but I could only record I think it was like five or 10 minute increments. So I recorded them and then I put them together on my computer into one longer segment and sent them in. That was how I started. And I went from that to uh, a headset microphone to a little snowball to eventually getting an XLR mic. But it was using whatever I had and patch it all together. I understand how things work now. And so, yeah, when somebody comes to a presentation of mine and they can't get their sound to work, I talk them through it. Just like if I have a guest join me on Zoom or whatever Skype or whatever uh, conferencing software, how many times do you have to talk them through it to get the the sound quality right and, and not make them feel frustrated or like, well, I don't even want to do this if it's so hard to get my sound set up. I want to go back to an even older skill. Mm. And even older in in the in the history of techie yes um techie like, as in you or yeah. techie as in technology techie as in me hi gotcha i'm tech <laughs> um i learned to type in high school i learned to type as a video game player and as an online role player where the mechanical skills of using a qwerty keyboard and learning how to touch type i learned that skill in high school and the goal of our typing program was to get us up to 30 words per minute but I broke 60 as a role player mm-hmm. because using that skill every day to talk to my friends, to write emails, to write our role plays. Yeah. Playing a video game, you've only got four seconds to tell your team that the bad guy's behind the barrel to the left before you get shot in the head. So learning to type, this is before mic communications became yeah. popular. And even then, 
for a long time, when voice comms came out in video games, I didn't like using it. I didn't like the idea of getting yelled at by some other guy in some city that I've never heard of. Yeah. Uh, I prefer. I still to, don't like that. No, I still preferred to type. And for a long time, like I'll be honest, uh, I would play online games, and they go, "Get on your microphone, start talking to us." I would just tell people I was deaf. There you go. Just, I don't want to argue with you. I'm deaf, and yeah. I'm not. I've never been hearing impaired in any way, but it was just a great way to shut them up and just talk to me by typing. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's wrong of me. Mm. I'm sorry. But, but I did, maybe I did. it's wrong of people to be so insistent because we, we definitely were in my a favorite landscape. Was the guy, my favorite was the guy who told me to quit playing video games. Oh. Yeah, I go, I'm deaf. I'm sorry. I don't use uh, I don't use a microphone. He goes, well, you shouldn't be playing games like this. Then you should just quit. Yeah, that yeah. that that. Well, that's I found a bigot. <laughs> yeah, you you can just go die in a fire. But um, <laughs> there were def- there was definitely that landscape of when you would go on and you do pick up games and you'd run into people who were like, "Well, your build is wrong. You yeah. need to change your build." That number one is something that I absolutely hate, and I used to run into it at work when it came to computers. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't get this program to work. Well, you're using the wrong computer. Yeah. You're using a Mac or you're using a PC. Whatever it is, you're using the wrong computer. You have the wrong operating system. Whatever you're doing, you're doing it yeah, wrong. This is no time for gatekeeping elitism. Just yeah. like help me get to my email, please. Exactly. Yeah. And and that I'm is going away. It is definitely going away. Um because more and more people are using computers and it's no longer this gatekeeping idea. Um and I think also when it comes to video games, I hope, I don't know, I'm not I'm not in the big MMO world. I mean, I'm playing Diablo 4, but I'm not really doing the social side of it. I'm only playing with people I know. Hi. Hi. (laughs) But um, I think that's starting to go away, too. But learning how that kind of gatekeeping of if you're going to play a cleric, this is what you need to build. And this is the gear that you need to have. And this is how you need to play it. Taught me how that's not how you help people. Yeah. And that you need to be adaptable to others. And that's the skill. Even a bad interaction like that, that's the skill I learned from that. So when I'm working with people at work in different... I work with the IT department. I work with the people who talk to the customers. I work with sales. I work with project managers. I work with lots of different kinds of people. I have people skills, um, says the guy from Office Space. But uh, I am the person that when I'm in these different circles, I can work with them because I adapt to what they need. Mm-hmm. And I try to speak their language as best as I can because I can't turn around and say, well you're doing it wrong, just do it this way. Because that's not going to get anyone anywhere. I don't know how many times I've had um, co-workers come up to me, you know, somebody suffering from some type of ailment, mm. and I walk up and say, hey, uh, so is this wrong with you? There's this, there's that, there's this, there's that. And then I get them the first aid that they need, and they go, wow, how would you know all that? Are you a paramedic? No. Oh, you, you must have trained as a nurse or something. No. Well, how do you know all that stuff? I pay attention yeah. when people are talking to me. We all took the same first aid training. I was just listening. I've had doctors come up to me. I'm like, I like to pay attention when my doctors talk to me. And the doc says, okay. And then halfway through the conversation, I'm like, so I had these symptoms and I went through X, Y, Z and this. And I think it's this, but I don't think it's that. So I think I need this test. And I'd like to talk to you about this potential medication instead of that one. 
And the doc just looks at me and goes, wow, you really do do your research. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I do. Because yeah. I find that stuff interesting. And being able to sort of negotiate where I go with things, uh, well, you learn that in gaming. You learn that in going from game to game. And that brings me to my next skill, problem solving. Playing games, uh, video games, tabletop games, even board games, makes you a problem solver. You know, what... Figuring out the solution to a problem. Figuring out the solution to your tech problem as well. All of these are geeky skills. And that is a skill that you can't teach. You can't teach somebody, we had this problem happen, how do we deal with it? And some people, when they are presented with a problem, uh, let's say a failure, they just default to the blame game. And that's not helpful. Whereas by playing these games and going through things, we can say, all right, how do we fix this? Or how do we make this better? Or how do we move on from here? We almost had a total party kill. How can we attack that dragon? Sorry, Rory. Uh, how can we attack that dragon and not have all of us die again? We have to approach this differently. We can't do the same thing over and over again. And... Because we our brains are wired to think that way, we do that in our day jobs as well. You know, you get something, it happened. We can't let that happen again. We need to come up with a solution. We need to figure out a way around this. And I think that that's a huge skill. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. And uh, problem solving is a, a big part of what I do professionally, you know, diagnostics. Uh, and along with that, one big thing that's been a benefit to me professionally, especially in the last couple of years, um, that I learned from my geekdom is that I'm worth it. Yeah. Um, the boost to my self-esteem, the creation of my whole me from playing these games, from being the player character in campaigns, from video games, from podcasting, from attending conventions, has proven to me that I am worth it. And that if there's an assignment that I want or there's um, a, a thing at work, um, a course or a challenge or something that I want, that I can go for it and that I, I'm worth trying it and that maybe I should just ask for it. Maybe I should just go to my boss. I am so sick of this attitude of be the gray man, be that your boss should never even know your name. Just punch in, punch out, do your thing and then go back. No, I'm tired of that attitude. Yeah. I do the job that I do because I love my job. And maybe you should find a job that you love too. But I love the job. I love my job. So when I do it, I apply myself and I want to keep doing things that I love. So I know that I'm worth it. So I am going to go seek these challenges that I want. As I would tell my students years ago, there's only one person that manages your career. And it's you. You are the person that gets to decide where you go and where you go. And like they're going to have some input in it, but you have the final say. Yeah. And all the decisions and choices that you make professionally affect where you end up, whether you realize it or not. And you learn that playing role-playing games. Those are your side quests. Those are your well, not just that, but it's your character build. Yeah. How you pick your stats at the beginning of the game are going to affect what your character is going to look like at the end of the game. So but if, if you're halfway through your journey and you decide to multi-class because it makes sense, that's going to work too. If I decide that I want to work in mountain climbing 
and I love mountain climbing, and I want to spend my career mountain climbing, well, I have to understand that if I ask for all of these things to learn mountain climbing, I'm probably going to have to go somewhere where there's mountains. So when I get to the mountains... To then complain that it's too rocky, it hurts my feet, and the dry air aggravates my asthma. Well, you picked that. You made that choice. You decided you wanted to learn rock climbing. So your job said, well, if you know how to climb rocks, you're going to the mountains. Um, and I see this time and time and time again of people who make a decision. Well, I want to work on this piece of equipment. Well, that piece of equipment is only available in this one town. Oh, okay, I'll go to that town. Then they get there and they go, oh, my God, I hate this town. Why am I here? Well, because you chose to go there. Um, in, in addition to the whole you're worth it and you choose it, um, I find, and this goes well into the whole problem-solving thing, I love a challenge and that comes from my games. That comes from the things that I can't figure out how to do this. How am I going to make myself look like a red, a cartoon red panda? That's a challenge, right? So that's my cosplay challenge is figuring out how people are going to understand that I am a red panda. I am a Gretzko. And how do I switch from cutesy red panda to rage face red panda that that's what i do in my geek life but when i get presented with oh you have an hour and you have to get all of this information into an hour but you have to do it in a way that they're not going to be overwhelmed and they're ready to work on exactly what you presented to them so i'll spend five hours preparing for an hour so that i can do the thing that nobody else can do i can make that Thing happen, make that presentation go amazingly for somebody and change how somebody is using our materials in their uh, uh, day life, you know, situation. And that to me is where those problem solving skills come in. But it also it just it makes my my day job like a game, you know, that I have a really hard task. How do I make it work? And I love that. And it, it basically makes it so that my day job is fun. Even if if I were to explain it to you, you'd say, wow, that sounds really boring. But it's the challenge that makes it fun. How about if I flip it around on you mm. as, as we wrap up here? Um, are there any professional skills that you have that you bring to your games or that you bring to your geek life? Um, I will. OK, so um, I will say that there is a lot of the project management that I am bringing to podcasting because I was never the project manager in podcasting. I was the managee and there is some of that that I am bringing to podcasting in organizing people and making sure that everybody can communicate that, that that's one of those things for sure. Um, I'll tell you a big one for me. Yeah. Spreadsheets. Oh yeah. I do love me a spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. Spreadsheets is a big one. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I only learned spreadsheets for work, and I use them a lot. Also, yep. uh, version histories. Uh, I just used you, it. you just saved my bacon today with version histories, so it, thank you, Nutty. Tech thought he lost a, an entire spreadsheet of data, and just it is something that can't be just recreated. And I said, no, 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 we just got to go into the version history, and let's get the last version of it. And because I understand how... Microsoft works because unfortunately I'm a Microsoft champion. Um, I hate that title, but I am. I'm a Microsoft champion. And so, yeah, I bring that to, uh, 
work also not so much my geek life but um uh being able to recover your dad's files from his millennium windows millennium machine yeah <laughs> last year that was that was a big undertaking but that all comes from stuff that i learned on the job absolutely uh that is not anything windows or microsoft is not something that i learned in my geek life cuz i was all a mac Another big one, because um, I do a lot of meetings, and we, a lot of people have uh, different uh, ways of doing this, but for me, note-taking is something yeah. that I learned on the fly because we receive orders, and then we then have to give back those orders to our subordinates, and the turnaround time is never long enough. And yeah. being able to cram in all of your steps that you have to do to decipher your notes and then spout them off in a way that your subordinates understand what you're saying is really hard. Yeah. But being able to take notes quickly, well, one, not only helped me at work, but then when I became a student again, it helped me as a student. Mm -hmm. But it also helps me as a player because as the other players are saying things or as the DM is explaining things in a game, you can jot down a couple of notes in a notepad off to the side. Um, it really helps the flow of the game in a lot of cases. Oh, I agree 100%. Um, I didn't learn that so much from work. I mean, I've perfected it for work and things like that. Uh, but I was diagnosed with ADD as a child and one of the few women of my generation to get diagnosed. Uh, ask me questions and I'll talk your ear off of, of the history and how difficult it was. But um, one of the things that I did learn after I started getting services, after I started, we called it resource room, um, was learning how to take notes. And how to take notes so that you can go back to them and actually read them. Because when I was a kid, I had atrocious handwriting, which is a big ADD, ADHD trait. Um, but being able to take notes that you can study from, that you can understand, that you can cement that information and process that information. How to take notes so that you can continue to pay attention, uh, especially during long, boring meetings. Um very important. And, uh, yeah, I definitely, I will thank my teachers in my high school and in my middle school for helping me learn all of that because I use that all the time. I use that in university. I use that in, in work and I use that when I'm playing a game. Otherwise, I don't remember how many fireballs did I cast or, um, well, that other character, they've, they've, you know, regenerated to however many times or they had this many hours of sleep or uh they happened to mention something about their backstory i better make a note of that because that's probably going to be important and being able to pick out what is important information to write a note about or what is just somebody talking is a whole other thing so that yeah i agree that's really a big one so there's one thing that i did want to talk about and i don't know where the skill developed. I don't know if it came from the geek side or if it just, uh, or if it came from the work side or if there's just overflow, but, uh, mentorship. Yes. Mentorship is a huge thing. Um, and I'm a firm believer in it. You need to mentor others and you need to have a mentor. So even if you are the mentor to others, you need to have somebody who is your mentor. I, yeah. And it's, it's one of these things that there's, Especially in the, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of um, experience in the business world, but you hear a lot of this, this like, there's a lot of anti-mentorship 
because mm. no one wants somebody better than them in the workplace. So if I'm teach, it, it, it's in a lot of fields, it's quite competitive. That if I teach you to be better than me, well, I'm fired, and you're going to replace me because you're newer and you can do the job cheaper. Yeah, and they'll just get rid of me. And in certain aggressive cutthroat fields, maybe, um, maybe that's not the way. But in my field, and you know, and in and in your field, um, and you know, the work that we do as martial artists, especially in a non-competitive martial mm. art, we really do benefit from mentorship uh, from the, the mentorship yeah. environment. That I am going to tell you every little dirty secret I know. Yep. Why? Because it does me no good to keep them. Yeah. And if I could learn them at, you know, looking at the young mentee. Yep. That if I could, if I knew half this stuff at your age, I'd be better. So guess what? You're getting the benefit of all of my mistakes. And I think that even like the cutthroat world. So I work with some salespeople. And a lot of times people think salespeople, uh, they're very competitive and they're constantly competing against each other. Now, in my company, everybody has their own territory. So they're not competing with each other. Uh, within the company. And that's, that's very good. Uh, if you ever saw, I think it was called Cadillac Man with Robin Williams. Um, and it's about a used car, car dealership and everybody is competing with each other for the sales that walk in the door. And that is not beneficial for anybody. You're not going to sell more cars by making your salespeople fight with each other and try to mess each other up. Um, so having a way that you can, have them boost each other is only going to make this work better. Um, but for me in where I've been in, you know, I, I, every field that I've ever worked, I've always had the thing of if I struggled with something, I should share the knowledge that I learned so that you don't have to struggle with it. And that when I am struggling, somebody will help me out of my jam and Having people to talk to about what you're going through and having somebody guide you is so beneficial, but also being able to guide somebody else to help somebody else through their struggles. You end up learning so much. And I'll just use podcasting as an example. Um, when I started uh, podcasting, I didn't have my own podcast, uh, but I got a lot of mentorship from other podcasters encouraging me. Um, Aaron Makem from Sci-Fi Dig, big mentor as I started. This was the first podcast that I started contributing to. And he gave me really good feedback and he gave me really good advice. And he was ready to get me set up with a mixer before I was even ready for it. But I went to the mixer because of him, you know, and that was like a huge milestone for me. Um, and then I've been able to turn around and then guide others as they go in to podcasting and help them out as well with, okay, this is how you're going to set up your site. This is, here's some recording equipment, you know, things like that. Um, when I finally did put out my podcast, episode zero, I put it out and I'm going to tell you some of the best feedback I got was, these are all the things you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And that I'm so thankful for. Uh, I got feedback from a caffeinated one and I got feedback from Nobilis. And I think there might have been one or two other people. But getting that feedback, getting that mentorship I gotta only give made sh- me a better podcaster. I got to give a shout out to a couple of people here. So yeah. NCAF definitely also, Absolutely. also helped me really, especially with my voice mm-hmm. and how I and how I talk in front of a crowd and on microphone. Um, and the other is Paul Cooley who gave me lots of advice about writing and lots of advice about storytelling and 
how to start a podcast, which I never did, and I'm horrible. Sorry, Paul. But uh, he gave me some great advice, and I've always sort of cherished those conversations I've had with him because normally when I'm talking to Paul, we're at a party and it's pretty raucous. But I uh, I enjoyed the time that I I had to have with him, even though we all know it was the fake Paul Cooley because the real Paul Cooley has long hair. Yeah, he has a ponytail. <laughs> But yes, absolutely. Paul is is all my conversations with Paul are, are genuine, and I love that. In the middle of a raucous party, you can just kind of sit down and have a conversation and get to like real stuff, which I just love. But I agree, yeah. You know, yeah, having the, the somebody talk to somebody to talk to about content, about like you said, your voice. Uh, a big thing, and you'll if you've if you're not a podcaster, uh, everybody. Whenever you, I get this all the time. I can't be a podcaster. I hate the sound of my own voice. Everybody hates the sound of their own voice. I don't hate the sound of my voice anymore. I tolerate it because I listen to it while editing. And that is probably one of the best skills ever. And I am a better public speaker because I don't cringe at my own voice anymore. How are you with your voice now? Uh, same thing. I got used to it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I never hated it. Okay. And... um. It is uncomfortable. It is rather unsettling to hear your own voice because it sounds different through your ears than it does rattling inside your own skull. Um, and getting used to that difference and then you, people, you know, oh, my God, I really sound like that. Yeah, you really do. And understanding that and understanding that I really have to control my voice if I don't get all weird and nasal because <laughs> no one likes that. Glavin. That, huh? Glavin. Glavin. Well, I, I have to I have to I have to watch. I have to, I have to, you know, there's, there's certain vocal things that I do that I have to watch and that I have to control them because I don't like them and nobody else notices and nobody else knows that I do it but me. So yeah, but you get, it's a thing you get used to. It's just, it is unsettling the first time you hear your own voice and it is different. But if you want to power through it, you can. If you want to use it as an excuse to quit, fine. Use it as an excuse to quit. It's a bad excuse. Yeah. I will say though, getting used to our voices made us more critical of our voices made us think about the word choices you know you mentioned not swearing before for me when i started everything was awesome everything is cool when you're part of a team no i i just said everything was awesome i used the word awesome so much that it could be a drinking game Mm. and i still do that i will still fall into those patterns it's almost it's not quite a stutter but it's almost like a stutter where you just come back to the same vocal patterns so yeah. I use so. Yes. Yeah, so I lot. use so as a way so. of saying that I would like to speak now. Yes. <laughs> and on <laughs> that, that note. <laughs> and that's how we say we want to wrap things up. Yes. Um, which we do. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> um, but yeah, because of that, I'm better at work and I am able to say things more concisely and I can wrap things up. I like how you talk about talking concisely, but yet this episode's like prattled on for a while now. Well, it's a discussion. Oh, okay. Besides, we're only 45 minutes. Is it? Yeah, it's only been 45 minutes, which is great because now we have time to share our survey links where we're able to have a little bit of uh, post-discussion talk and people have lots of time to get to their next meeting. Oh, very good. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, but we also did not take any time for a health and stretch break. No, we didn't. But we th- that's okay because it's under an hour. It's only after an hour or 90 minutes that you need a health and stretch break. Oh, do you think so? Yes. Well, yes. Okay. Also, um, oh, you know what we forgot, though? What? We didn't start with icebreaker questions. No, no icebreaker questions. 
And I also didn't start with a joke. Isn't your intro a running gag? Doesn't Hi, I'm still tech. He's still tech. And he will be tech when he's giving his presentation tomorrow. And I will be nutty. Actually, I won't be nutty. But I'll still be here giving my presentation tomorrow. Yep. So let Good us- luck tomorrow, nutty. Thank you. Uh, good luck tomorrow, tech. Let Thanks, us know nutty. what are some of the skills that you use in your geek life that you've brought to work that make you better at whatever it is that you do. Or... Conversely, what is it in your geek life that you would like to start doing professionally? Okay, maybe we can't run panels at a convention professionally because that's all volunteer stuff. But how can we do something like that in our day job? Let us know. You've got the Discord. You can email us. You can talk to us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, maybe. I don't know. Carrier pigeons, um, you know. Send send me a Teams message. There you go. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but yeah, let us know how does your geek life influence your work life and hopefully make it just a little bit better. Bye. Bye, everybody. And before we go, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you so much for keeping the lights on, keeping things going. You all rock. So we're going to start with our top tier, our big daddies. And with the biggest of daddies, thank you to Jax. Thank you to Jason. Thank you to Rich the TT. Rich the TT, the time traveler named Rich. And thank you to our patrons of the arts. Thank you to Mark Cabot, to the encaffeinated one, to the bathtub mermaid. And I thought, I don't think that it, it went through yet, but I think we have a new one. So thank you to Kaylin. Um, thank you to Susanna. Thank you to our other patrons, the lifeblood of this campaign. You all keep the lights on and everything going. So thank you to Shane, Selgador, Andy, Cliff, Greg, Harold, Hugh, Ian, Justine, Ken, Kinsey, Crazy Joe Adventures, Mike, Peacock, The Radical Geek, Stephen, Will, and Zachman. Thank you so much. You all rock. Nutty Bites is produced by Nimlas Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial Non-Derivatives 3.0 International License. That means you can't change it without my permission. You can share it and send it to your friends. Just link back to me, my site, and everything. We live at nimlas.org, which has links to everything social media, including facebook.com slash group slash Nutty Bites and patreon.com slash nukejoss or call 347-NUTTY42. And while I don't have an official promo 
for Mr. Cooley. I do want to let everyone know that you can go to shadowpublications.com to find Paul Cooley's books. You can find his podcast. You can find his Patreon where you get even more books. You get the audio books that are not available. You get the stuff he's working on. You get essays. You can also find his blog posts there. You can find links to his other podcasts, um, including the Dead Robot Society. So please take a, a moment and go check out shadowpublications.com where they don't believe in happy endings. Hi, I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. 